Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and his church, grow in faith and understanding of God's word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Take your Bibles open to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to need my, my clock. There it goes. They always put a clock in the back for me so you guys can get to the Golden Corral by noon and get through the buffet line in time. We're finishing up Philippians chapter 4 this morning. We've been working now for probably 14 or 15 weeks verse by verse, working through the book of Philippians. We've been challenging our faith, I hope. Uh, I've encouraged you over the last few weeks to spend time in God's Word on a regular basis. And if that's new for you, uh, you've never really spent a lot of time studying or reading God's Word, and you've started because of this series, keep it up. It's a great thing for you to do. I I, I said this um, uh, last week, but I'll continue to say it. Uh, There's nothing... There's nothing in your life like the Word of God infiltrating and really speaking to who you are. Uh, I was sitting this week reading Scripture and just kind of meditating, taking some time just to think about the things of the Lord, and I was just reminded of His goodness and His mercy. But I, I fully believe that this is the antidote to the sin of the world. I believe that. I believe if you'll put this in your heart, If you'll spend time reading it, studying it, meditating on it, understanding it, God will bless you. You'll be amazed at how you will increase in your growth. You'll be amazed at how closer to Christ you'll get. Uh, I had a conversation with with a dear, precious little lady. I'm going to say Miss Joe. Everybody knows Miss Joe Ober. Miss Joe is fantastic. We love you, Miss Joe. She's here this morning. She told me, now, now this is one of the most godly ladies I've ever met. She told me this morning, she said, Adam, I just can't tell you how close I am with the Lord right now. She said, he's just working on my life, and I'm growing, and I'm just so excited about what the Lord's doing. Praise his name. Praise his name for that. What, what a great example for us to look to. And also, this is, this is kind of where I f- kind of find myself. Man, if, if she can be growing in her faith, I can be growing in my faith, because I feel like she's at the top. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm looking up the hill at her, but she's still growing. What a challenge to us to always be mindful to always be learning, always be growing. But listen, putting God's word in your heart is going to cause that. doesn't happen on its own. It's not osmosis. It's a process. And so we've been working through this scripture. We've been working through this book. Last week, we talked about the idea of rejoicing in the Lord, finding contentment. And we talked about that process, right? It doesn't happen overnight. It's by slowly, steadily trusting the Lord more, spending time in his word, growing so you understand that in every circumstance, you can find joy and contentment. But understanding that all of that, all of that is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, And so that's what Paul's going to continue with this morning. Continue with this mindset, this idea of Jesus above all things, this mindset, this understanding that Jesus is a foundation to everything that we do and all the ways in which we think and act and live and understand. So let's jump right in this morning. Philippians chapter 4, verse 14 through now the end of the book. Paul writing to the church at Philippi. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you 
only. Let me pause here for a second, because Sarah brought something up a few minutes ago, how she had reached out to all these churches, and nobody wanted to partner with her, and she sent it to me, and I said, we'd be happy to send it to him. I did that because I know the heart of our people. I understood. I knew full well if I put the call out that we need to send a team to this place, as difficult as it may be, somebody would answer that call, and they did. And as soon as she goes back, we're going to send another team to work with her. That's the plan. But we partnered with her because we understand the significance and the importance of working with people to share the gospel of Christ no matter where that is, right? Paul's understanding that, right? No church entered into partnership with me, giving and receiving, except only you. Now, verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Ephroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my Father will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now verse 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, there's a lot we could say in here, right? Paul talks about a lot of things. He talks about the partnership and the foundation built on Christ. But I want to begin with this truth. I think it's really important for us to get, especially in this context, but it means a lot for us in our world today and the way in which we live. Here's truth number one. Jesus is our provider. Jesus is our provider. Now, Jesus is the, obviously the theme throughout this text, throughout this section, really throughout this book. And so Paul understands, listen, I've been through some struggles. We've talked about that a good bit throughout this study over the last many weeks. We've seen all the things that Paul has gone through, all the struggles he's faced. Remember, Paul has written this from a prison cell. He's still struggling. In fact, verse 14 talks about his trouble. Verse 16 talks about his need for help. Then verse 16, he kind of gets into this idea about these people helping. You sent me help. Verse 18, I received full payment. Verse 18, I am well supplied. But then Paul does something in verse 19 as he's talking about this give and take, my need for help, the idea that not a lot of people help, but church at Philippi, you stepped in to help me. But then he says something in verse 19 truly foundational. I want you to pull that up. I want you to notice exactly what Jesus says here. And my God, he says, will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul says, listen, thank you for your support. Thank you for all you did. Thank you for all you gave. It is tremendous. But I want you to know, Paul says, that it's Jesus that supplies and provides all of my needs. Now, look, we need to fast forward that about 2,000 years. Because we're real good about thinking, man, I, I work really hard at my job. Or maybe I'm really gifted in this particular area. Or maybe I've gone to school for a long time to get this degree. Or maybe I've got all this experience. And all those things are probably true and they're good. But you need to understand it's the Lord that blessed you with that mind or that work ethic or, or that ability. And so what we kind of come to in our walk with Christ is understanding that everything we have is because Jesus gave it to us. And I, I, I'll never forget the first time I went overseas to Guatemala. It was really the first time that I kind of experienced this uh, abject poverty. Like people living on a couple of dollars a day. 
And I, I, I talked and interacted with those people. And then we begin to send teams down and, and work with those people. And the thing I always come back with is understanding, listen, these people are uh, as smart as I am or smarter. They're probably way uh, hard workers. Way, they, they work a lot harder than we do. If you've ever been around those people down there in the jungle, the amount of time and effort and the hard work they put in, all the things that they do uh, shows, listen, they're smart. They're hardworking. If I were there and they were here, we'd probably have similar lives, right? If I lived down there, I'd probably live in abject poverty. They'd probably have a pretty good job in a nice house. So it has nothing to do with intelligence or work ethic or strength. It, listen, it has to do with the grace of God. He puts you here and gave you opportunities that they don't have. And so when we read verses like this, God is our provider, it's awfully important for us to remember that, especially in the Western world, that all the nice things we have and all the ways in which we've been blessed are because Christ has given them to us. But I want you to see what Paul says here, right? My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches. Now, if you stop there, you might kind of have this mindset of wealth, money, prosperity, and there's a danger here. There's a danger here because a lot of people in the world have kind of fallen into this trap, this prosperity gospel. Right, name it, claim it. Like the richer you are, the more God has blessed you. The more stuff you have uh, uh, possessed, the more stuff you have or been able to buy or work for, whatever, the more God is, is working in your life. And so we see people that teach this and proclaim this. And in parts of the world where there is a lot of poverty, that works. Because people buy into this. Yeah, man, if Jesus is going to give me a nicer house or a car or food for my family, I'm going to follow him, right? It's kind of this prosperity gospel. And so our minds sometimes, we talk about the riches of Christ. We go to this idea of money and wealth and possessions. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. In fact, Paul has talked about riches in other parts of the New Testament. One of the ways we understand Scripture, this is one of those rules of scriptural interpretation, is we interpret Scripture using Scripture. You don't take one verse out of context. If you just took the first part of that verse out of context, God will supply every need of yours according to his riches. We might be thinking about money or wealth, but Paul has given us other verses that help us understand this. Paul has given us other passages of Scripture that help us figure out exactly what he's getting at when he speaks of the riches of God. One example, you don't have to look there, but I want you to listen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Here's what Paul says, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. Here's what Paul says. As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. He's talking to us. By great endurance, listen, in affliction, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. He goes on to say, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich. Listen, as having nothing yet possessing everything. See, as followers, followers of Christ, we can say, listen, we don't possess things without Jesus. We don't have things without him. God's economy is not the same as our economy. And so we read about the riches of Christ, and we may be thinking about money. We might be thinking about wealth. But I want you to notice how Paul finishes his verse. God will supply every need of yours according to his riches, where? In glory, in Christ Jesus. Right, the riches that Paul is talking about here, 
The riches we find in God are found in his glory in Christ, right? The things of the Lord, grace and mercy and love. Listen, these are the things we actually need. We think we need possessions and wealth and riches. What we actually need is to experience the glory of the Lord in Christ. Because when we begin to experience that, the things of the world pale. Right? The more we can experience the riches of the glory of God in Christ Jesus, the more insignificant the things of the world appear and the more glorious Christ appears to us. So Paul says, listen, we need to understand his economy is not our economy. One writer said it like this. I love this phrase. It's a little lengthy, but I want you to stay with him here. He says, speaking of the people in Philippi, they are not simply engaged in a correspondence, an exchange of gifts between Philippi and a Roman prisoner, talking about Paul. They relate to each other as residents in Christ Jesus. This transcendent residence brings them together within the domain in which alone they experience the giving and receiving of God's riches. The enrichment of the Philippians will come as their lives are transformed by the cross and the resurrection of Christ. Right? Jesus is our provider because he gives us grace and mercy and love. Right? That's all we really need. But I want you to notice kind of where Paul goes with this. Look at verse 21 again. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord, Jesus Christ, be with your spirit. Right? Jesus is our provider, number one. Here's truth number two. Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is provider. Jesus is our salvation. He's our savior. Now Paul's writing here in verse 21 to the saints. He calls them saints in verse 21, calls them saints again here in verse 22. And usually when we think about saint, maybe you think about somebody that's done something really kind or nice or they're a really good person. So maybe you've heard somebody say something like this, my grandmother was a real saint or that guy or lady is a real saint. When we read it in scripture, what a saint means is a believer. It's a follower of Christ. In the original Greek, saint basically meant somebody that was set apart, somebody that was called out. And so we begin to understand what, what Paul's getting at here when he's writing to the saints. He's writing to people that have accepted Christ, that have been called out, that are separated from the world. In fact, the world, excuse me, the scripture, when it talks about the saints and it talks about being set apart, oftentimes uses the word holy. So Isaiah 6.3 says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Then 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 13, says this. I want you to listen to the command here. Therefore, preparing your minds for actions and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Look, as followers of Jesus, he's our salvation, he's our savior. He has called us out to be holy, to be different, to be set apart from the world. So here's the question we ask. 
Do we really live in such a way that our lives are set apart? Do you really look different to the people around you? I remember when I was a kid, they used to kind of use this example, and it, it stuck with me. It made a lot of sense. They used to say something like this. Listen, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? It's a good question. People at your place of work arrested you for being a believer. Is there enough evidence to prove you really are? <laughs> I don't know if there is for some of us. Are we living our lives in such a way that we blend in and look every, like everybody else? We kind of talk the same way, think the same way, react the same way? Or are we different? Do people look at us and go, I don't quite know what it is, but there's something different about that lady. There's something different about her. Or there's something different about that guy. Or there's something different about that student because that person doesn't respond in the way everybody else does. That person doesn't think like everybody else. That person doesn't talk and use the same words that other people use. There's something different about that person. Listen, we are called to be set apart. We are called to be holy. We are called to live our lives for Christ. Why? Because he's our salvation. We've been called to something greater. There's a greater plan in this life than just kind of making it, than just figuring out how to bring ourselves pleasure until we die. There's a greater calling Jesus calls us to salvation. He calls us to hope. He calls us to be different, to be set apart. But I want you to notice the phrase that Paul uses there. He talks about being in Christ. He talks about all the saints in Jesus Christ there in verse 21. Right? It's this idea of position. Right? When we are in Christ, we are different. We, we understand what it means to be in the building. We understand what it means to be in a car. We understand what it means to be in a relationship. Paul says we are in Christ. It's positional for us. And when we're in Christ, we think differently than we do out of Christ. Right? We have different thoughts. Our minds are different. Paul talks about this in kind of the middle part of the book of Philippians. He said, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You know, when you're a believer in Christ, when you've accepted Jesus, he's your savior, you should think differently. You shouldn't think like everybody else. You, you should have a different mindset even. Like the way you approach life and work should be vastly different than everybody else. Right? Everybody else is getting up and going to work. They're like, what can I do to earn some money? What can I do to advance my position? What can I do to make the company better? And, and all those things are fine. But as a believer, your first thought will be, how can I go to work today and glorify the Lord? How can I bring glory to Christ today in my place of business? How can I be set apart? It's a different mindset. Right? We have different feelings. The Lord leads us to, to feel differently. I have conversations with people on a regular basis. They say something like this. You know, the Lord's called me to do something. I'm just sensing in my heart something different. I'm sensing in my mind I need to maybe talk to this person or go here or pray here or lead a Bible study or whatever the case may be. That's the prompting of the Spirit. Why? Because you feel differently as a follower of Jesus. You, you think differently. You act differently. But here's the problem. We, we kind of straddle this line, don't we? We're in Christ, we get that, but we're also in the world. And for a lot of us, we compartmentalize that. There are times when we're in Christ, like now, Sunday school class, maybe when you're around the people of church or other believers, and you've got this box, and you're in Christ in those moments, and you know the right things to say. You figured out the phrases to use. You know kind of how to play that game. But as soon as that time is over, you're right back here in the world. And we're really good about hiding that sometimes, aren't we? We're really good about hiding that worldly side and instead we just want to talk about the things of Christ when we're around the right people and then we're not around those people we do different things, right? We're playing a game. 
I had a conversation with somebody, and this conversation seems to, seems to come up more and more often in my life. I had a conversation with somebody this week, kind of an old friend. We were catching up a little bit on the phone. Hadn't talked in a while. And we, he was talking about his church, and I was talking about my church. And we both kind of said we're fearful that there are people within the local church that aren't really believers. Like they're just playing the game. I'm not judging any of y'all. It's between you and the Lord. I have no desire to judge. But the Lord will. And you need to get that right. And only you know if you're playing that game. If I'm playing that game about I'm pretending like I'm this when I'm not really, I'm really living in the world, I'm kind of acting like I'm in Christ, only you know. But Paul says, listen, we need, we need to get this right. Because if you're truly a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're truly in Christ, if you've truly been called out, set apart to be holy, you should look different. You should think different. You should act different. Everybody around you should know something's going on. John Stott said this. He said, many of our spiritual troubles arise from our failure to remember that we are citizens of two kingdoms. We tend either to pursue Christ and withdraw from the world or to become preoccupied with the world and forget that we are also in Christ. I think that's right. There's this balance there. There's this tension there, right? We, we don't want to build up walls and kind of keep everybody out. We don't want to necessarily have the, the monastery approach where we build this building on the top of a mountain in the middle of the desert where nobody ever sees us and spend our lives there and just kind of keep the world out. We don't want to do that. But at the same time, we don't want to get so far into the world that we forget about the things of Christ. And so, so there's this balancing act. How do we live for Christ among the world? Right? How can we be set apart even in the midst of the people that are not? Paul says we do that by trusting Christ, by growing in our walk, by seeing Jesus as our salvation. But let's finish this thing. I'll look at verse 21 again. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. The saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Here's truth number three. We've seen Jesus as provider. We've seen Jesus as savior, salvation, Truth number three, Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is our Lord. I love what Paul does here because he ends the book in the same way that he started the book. You probably don't remember this. and If you've got your Bibles, you can flip back. I guess it's really one page because it's such a short book. But Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, listen to what Paul says. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints, there it is, in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Paul begins the book with this reminder that Jesus is Lord. Paul ends the book with this reminder that Jesus is Lord. Right? Jesus isn't just some afterthought to Paul. Jesus is foundational to everything he does. Christ's authority is central to this letter. Right? If you take away the authority of Christ, this letter has no foundation. Paul says, listen, my, my authority isn't based on education. It's not based on the fact that I'm a great teacher, Paul says. Paul says, it's not based on the fact that I'm well-respected. My authority is found only in Christ. And so we ask ourselves the question, is Jesus really the Lord of my life? Is Jesus really the Lord of my life? Is Jesus the Lord of my thoughts? Is Jesus the Lord of my finances? Is Jesus the Lord of my actions? Is, watch now, is Jesus the Lord of my marriage? Is Jesus the Lord of my household? 
Is Jesus the Lord of everything that I do, or am I straddling the line here? Right? Am, I, am I playing the games of Jesus every now and then, only when the time's right and the right people are looking, and then I'm just kind of living in the world, or am I really giving my heart, my mind, and my soul to Christ as my Savior and my Lord? Because it's very easy for us to be Lord of our own lives, isn't it? Like in the flesh, Adam would love to be the Lord of his own life. I like to make the decisions. I like to be in charge of what I do, just like you do. We come to this place of understanding, listen, I've got to set aside the things I desire. I've got to set aside the things that I want. I've got to instead take up my cross daily, be willing to follow Jesus, regardless of what that costs. Is he really Lord? Now we're going to give you a chance here in just a few minutes. Our worship team is going to come out here in just a few minutes, and we're going to sing, and we're going to, we're going to play a song for you, and we're going to ask you to sing with us. But I want to explain to you what this invitation is about. Okay, the whole reason we do this is to give you a chance to respond. I don't want to sit up here and talk for 30 minutes and we, and we spend all this time kind of getting ready and preparing and praying and singing just for you to kind of come in and sit and soak and then leave and never be changed. So we create this opportunity for you. We're creating this moment for you so you can respond. And that might be from your seat. You don't have to come down front. But it's a chance for you to ponder what we've said to consider the things that we've been saying, to understand what it means, to ask yourself some of these difficult questions, like, is Jesus really my Savior? And I've said this time and time again, and, and I, I do it because I care about you deeply, but just because you may have said a prayer when you were nine or your grandmama took you to church and you were a kid doesn't make you a believer. Showing up to church doesn't make you a believer. Going to Sunday school doesn't make you a believer. Putting some money in the basket doesn't make you a believer. Following Christ, repenting of your sins, and trusting Jesus, that makes you a believer. And you got to get that right. you got to get that right. So we're going to give you this opportunity in just a few minutes. You can come and pray. Maybe you need to pray about your position, like the role of Christ in your life. Maybe you would say, listen, Jesus matters to me, but he's third or fourth on the list. Maybe. Maybe you need to pray about the priority. Maybe you need to pray about somebody in your life that you know is not a believer, that's never truly repented of this. Maybe you need to pray for that person. Or maybe you say, I need to pray for myself. I need to pray that I would either live my life for Christ or maybe for the first time accept that he really is Savior and Lord. We're going to give you a chance. I'm going to pray for you. Then I'll be right down front. Happy to talk to you. Happy to walk you through this process as the Lord leads. Okay, let me pray for us now. Father, we thank you for this opportunity you've given us to study your word. We thank you, Father, for the clear picture you've painted for us in the book of Philippians over the last many weeks as we've studied and tried to learn more and more about Christ. And Lord, I, I pray that we would just see this idea of Jesus being our foundation as true, as so important for us. Father, understanding Jesus as our provider of all things, as our salvation and as our Lord. And so, Lord, I pray for this time now of invitation. I pray it be a time of, of a reflection in the hearts and minds of these precious people, the people at home. Lord, I pray it be an opportunity for us just to kind of re-examine, re-evaluate our lives, honestly answering these questions. And then, Father, you work in our hearts, whatever that looks like. You work in our hearts and our minds to do great things. We'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray.